Welcome to Third Church's T3 Family Podcast. Welcome back. My name is Katie Peterson, and I have pastors Keith Corver and Allie Cramner here today for this podcast. Since our last podcast, we have just had some great conversations with people about one baptism in two moments over time, and we thought it might be helpful for our Third Church family to share some of those conversations as well as questions on on this podcast. And so welcome back, Keith and Allie. So delighted to be here with you again. Excited to be here. You bet. Round two. So the direction that we're going to be heading in this podcast are questions and conversations that we have had regarding one baptism in two moments over time. We shared a lot of information on the last podcast, and so if you have not heard that, we invite you to go back and listen to that because some of the questions will address topics that we did a deeper dive on on that podcast. One of the things we highlighted is that Our life in Christ is a journey, and it's a process. And this idea of one baptism in two moments over time is an invitation for the believer and families of believers to be guided by the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is inviting you into. So that means that there are not always clear answers. It's not always black and white for everybody. There's some some gray area, and you're going to hear some of that gray area, I think, in as we attempt to answer these, these questions here today. So one of the first questions we received was, as someone who was baptized as an infant, how do I navigate the decision to be baptized again? Do I need to is it a requirement of my salvation? And I think we're going to hear this question echoed over and over again as we roll out this new bylaw. Allie, could you could you respond? What's your first thoughts on that? Yeah, I think the truth is the Holy Spirit's going to lead you. And so this is not a requirement for everyone now at church to now do things the way that we have the new bylaw being said. However, we do believe that If there is a desire and the Holy Spirit is asking you to consider it, then being baptized would be a beautiful way to show the work of the Lord in your life. And so, but please know this is, again, not a requirement, not a prescription. This is an opportunity to consider if the Lord is leading you to consider it. Allie, what a beautiful picture of it's a response to the invitation from from the Holy Spirit. But that, that question had a little bit about infant baptism. So let's let's stay in that infant baptism camp for the next question. And I've heard this several times as well. One concern I've heard is that we haven't really talked about the theology or reasoning behind infant baptism as a complete sacrament. And so this is part of that mind shift that we're inviting people into that no, not once saved, always saved, um, but that's a different mindset of infant baptism is a complete sacrament. So Keith, would you speak into that a little bit? Absolutely. So really, we have a theology question here right now, and I want to challenge listeners to uh, scour their Bibles about any prescriptions that exist from about baptism from Jesus or any of the apostles who wrote their epistles. I think one of the most... Uh, Interesting things for people who scour the scriptures is they find out there are no prescriptions. Jesus does not tell us how to do it. 
He does not tell us when to do it, and neither does the Apostle Paul. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is probably the most highlighted verse in Scripture that Jesus shares about baptism. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now you go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you, even to the end of the age. Now notice, there is zero prescription in there. So how in the world did the church get to its position with its varying traditions about whether to baptize children or not? When Dr. Chuck Van Ingen came and presented one baptism in two moments over time, we had a brilliant seminary student who was in the audience who said, this whole thing that you seem to be concocting is exactly that. It's a concoction. And Chuck Van Ingen had a really interesting response, and he said, and yes, the church has been concocting the whole way through church mm -hmm. history regarding mm -hmm. the sacraments. Mm -hmm. And what he said was, what he meant by that, Chuck was saying that the application of sacraments in the church has developed over time as the church developed and as the church moved into different cultures that needed to have the sacrament delivered in different ways. And so he said the Holy Spirit was so brilliant, because he's God, and that he left this idea of sacramental interpretation very, very broad so that it could hit multiple targets at once. Now, the key thing that Chuck shared that was massive for me that I struggled with the most was I could not see where there was a typological or parallel inference to infant baptism in the Old Testament. Well, Chuck took us through the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He says that God came to Abraham in Genesis 12, he had a personal encounter, and Abraham believed God, and God credited it to him as righteousness. Chuck said, there was Abraham's adult profession of faith. And then in chapter 17 in Genesis, God tells Abraham to use circumcision as the sign of the covenant. So notice with Abraham, his profession of faith came first, and then the sign. Chuck then went through Isaac and Jacob, and both of those men as boys on the eighth day were circumcised. There's the parallelism for the development of infant sprinkling. And that's where we see circumcision in the Old Testament connecting with sprinkling in the New Testament. In our last podcast, I mentioned the fact that the early church needed a sacrament that would connect the daughters of believers as well as the sons. And then therefore, water sprinkling was the right that the early church chose. You see the same thing with Jacob and with his sons, that they were circumcised on the eighth day, or in other words, there's a parallelism there for sprinkling, and then later in their lives, they had an encounter with the living God where their faith became real to them, and they, in essence, professed their faith. So for me, that was the theological linchpin that I did not have as a kid growing up in the RCA, in a Reformed church family and then going through seminary. And as Chuck shared this with me, it was this epiphany of, oh my goodness, there it has been all along. To conclude before I kick it back to Katie, what I think is happening here is the author of Hebrews, who I think was Paul, says in Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It divides soul and spirit, joint and marrow, and it elicits the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. The point is the word of God is very active in these days allowing us to see new dimensions of baptism and how we can apply this sacrament in a new day. So in one sense, I would agree with Chuck, yes, we are inventing new ways to apply the sacrament because there never were prescriptive ways in which we had to do it. 
So I come back to a comment I made in the first podcast, Galatians 5.1. It's for freedom for which we have been set free. And this applies now to our application of this sacrament, that we can do it one baptism in two moments over time. I appreciate, Keith, your wisdom of inviting people to study the scriptures for for themselves and look for those prescriptions, because we know um, church tradition falls hard, and um, there's just there's space and there's grace for that. Isn't there, help me with my church history here, but people have felt so passionately about baptism that, I mean, we, we are coming against generations Absolutely. of church tradition or yes. religious spirit, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, to the point where if you did not believe in, was it believer baptisms, there's a chance you would get um, a stone. Tied around your feet and thrown into Lake Geneva. Yes. So yes. very quickly, folks, can I jump in there, Katie? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So the Reformation, reformed and ever reforming according to the Word of God, happened in the 1500s with guys like Martin Luther John Calvin, Zwingli, Knox, etc. They were all coming out of uh, a Roman Catholic era in which salvation was by works and not necessarily by grace through faith. And so Luther, a Roman Catholic priest, really was diving into the scripture, asking the question, what does the Bible really say about various issues? Now, as we came out of that early Reformation era, so many of our Christian groups, sects, SCTSs, the Baptists, the Anabaptists, the Reformers, the Presbyterians, all came down with very hardline positions on the sacraments because they did not want to fall into the old traps that had occurred in the Roman Catholic interpretation of sacraments. The problem that happened was in defending new positions, they didn't keep an open mind to the breadth of the possibility that were in the sacraments. And hence, Katie made a point, uh, there were reformers in Switzerland who literally would, would take other Christians to Lake Geneva, and they would say, if you do not accept infant baptism as a potential application of the, bapti- of the uh, sacrament of baptism, we're going to drown you in Lake Geneva. And Christians did this to one another. <clears throat> so it was really criminal. But it was a reaction out of a previous false context and paradigm that caused so much division. And the truth is, we still see it today, mm-hmm. that as I'm having a discussion with yep. a pastor from another denomination, he's looking at me cattywampus because we sprinkle infants, and they only believe in adult believer cognitive baptism. So I'm just seeing that this whole thing we're talking about is a major gift from God, that we can play with the sacrament of baptism in such a way to make it really culturally relevant without uh, diminishing its theological integrity. Thanks so much, Keith. That was great to hear more about the history. I think it's great for us to really understand historically what was going on and has happened in our past so we can learn from that. So a couple things to plug in the midst of that. We actually have a booklet that is full of information when it comes to baptism and our new bylaw of one baptism, two moments over time that you can pick up at church. We are more than willing to give that to you. The other thing is our website is up to date with the information of one baptism, two moments over time. So if you need concrete answers to some of your questions, or even just want to see for yourself what we're saying, that our website is a great place to find that. But we have another question from a staff member, and one of the que- the question they're asking is, what if you're not a member? Can you be baptized? And so, Katie, would you mind taking that question? 
Yeah, this goes back a little bit to church tradition. And so baptized into the what Ali was, was talking about that can be found on our website, there are 12 different... 12 different ways in which baptizo is used in the New Testament. And that document is referenced on our website. And one of those ways is uh, to be baptized into a visible um, body of, of believers. And that is where church tradition takes when you become a member you get baptized. Um, and that is that is one thing. If we have people who have never been baptized and they're becoming a member and they would like to be baptized on account of that meaning of baptizo, we will welcome that and invite that and celebrate that. But we also want to recognize that um, non-members also may be may be baptized, and so there are examples in that tw- on those twelve baptizo of when we when we repent and we want to live, we want to die to our old self and rise to new life in Christ. If we want to align um, more intimately with with Jesus, and so we just recognize that you do not need to be a member of Third Church for us to carry out a believer baptism. We go through what the believer baptism process looks like here at Third Church extensively in the previous podcast, so I invite you to check that out. But but a quick glance is go ahead and head to our website, and you can fill out a form for Believer Baptism, and we are going to pair you with an elder. And that's the on-ramp to get started in the process to be baptized here at Third Church. Allie, some people that we've we've been in conversation with are are so excited, like, like we are. Um, however, there are people who are not comfortable with this or feel that it's not not necessary. Um, what's our what is our response to that? And I know you talked about it a little bit in your initial answer, but anything to add what is Third Church's posture in response to those who are not comfortable with this? Yeah, I think it is okay to not be comfortable with it. You know, one of the beautiful things about who we are as Third Church is we have a generous orthodoxy. And what that means is that we are willing to allow tradition to be put aside so that all of us that have faith and a relationship with Jesus Christ can come to the table of communion or come to the waters of baptism because we believe that we all live in the new relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that is our one statement that is grounded in a generous orthodoxy that faith in Christ is the must of all of those things. But in a generous orthodoxy, it doesn't have to be a prescription of you need to do things a certain way. And so the great thing about a generous orthodoxy is that we can genuinely say that we trust the Holy Spirit is up to something good in all of us. And that because of that, we are different and it may look different It could look the same, but it may look different. And we want to celebrate those differences because we believe God is always doing something good in our lives. And so for us to limit the Holy Spirit in any way feels like we are then taking the power away from God and saying that we are in control of it. And so we just bless what the Lord's doing. And so it is more than okay to be uncomfortable. But I would also say, have a posture of learning because maybe the Lord wants to teach us something in our uncomfortableness. Katie, so another question we have is, do students have to make a profession of faith before baptism? Would you mind taking that one? The quick answer is yes. Everyone will make a profession of faith before baptism. However, it's important to define and understand 
when we say profession of faith, what we are talking about here. So each church kind of has its own language, it seems like, and its own processes. So here at Third Church, when some of us hear the phrase profession of faith, we immediately go to the process that we invite students into every year. There's a foundations class component, a mentorship component, sharing their testimony with the elders, celebration and discipleship. And that we call this process of faith journey for the students, we call this process um, profession of faith here at Third Church. However, profession of faith can also have a broader stroke meaning of simply sharing your faith. Um, It could also be languaged as sharing your testimony. So for children who have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life, they can profess their faith, broad stroke profess their faith, by identifying as one of Jesus's followers. And again, that's one of the 12 baptizo uses um, in Romans 6, 3, 4, Colossians 2, 12. This can be done through sharing their testimonies with elders and also through the liturgy and sharing with those gathered at the baptism, baptism service. Keith, we'd like to camp with you for a couple of things. Back to this whole, a lot of it is church, church tradition, and we've touched on it a little bit. But we have had some older members who have asked, I'm already a member of Third and confident I'm in God's family. Will I lose my Third Church membership if I choose not to be baptized again? Very simple answer. No, absolutely not. You are in proper standing before the Lord and as a member of Third Church. And I just come back to Galatians 5.1. It's for freedom for which we have been set free. And so as both ladies have shared so well here in our time together, it's up to you to listen to the Holy Spirit in your life to make these kinds of decisions. So if the Holy Spirit is not prompting you to choose immersion, that is fine. You're in great standing. Keith, if we could continue with you for the next couple of questions, you are kind of our uh, theologian, our resident theologian. And so these next questions tie very closely in with, with theology, systematic theology and such. Is baptism only a New Testament Jesus thing? And doesn't the Bible say clearly what we're supposed to do? And you've, you've talked about these kind of in, in a previous answer, but could you go back and answer those two? You bet. So is baptism only a New Testament thing? Well, if you go back to the book of Jeremiah, you're going to see that Jeremiah the prophet references circumcision. Hmm, what does that have to do with baptism? In Jeremiah, he talks about the fact that the Ammonites and the Egyptians and other ancient Mesopotamian cultures also circumcised. So the Israelites were not the only ones who did it, but God had them do it as a sign of the covenant. Now, the same thing is true with baptism. So, in Old Testament Judaism, there's a thing called the mikvah. And what that was, when I went to Israel, I got to see that in Judaistic rites, purification rites, if you wanted to cleanse yourself from a purification standpoint, you would go into a particular place where it was either, it was gender specific, male or female, You would strip down and you would literally walk down some stairs into what appeared to be a baptismal kind of pool. So you walked down to have the dirt washed off you and you came up cleansed. Well, that was a pre-type of one of our understandings of baptizo. Then you'll notice that John the Baptist, who was a part of the Essenes group, starts baptizing people in the River Jordan for the 
awareness of the need to repent. So you see many iterations and versions of baptism happening, not only in Judaism, but also in other cultures as well as it was connected to their cultic faiths. So this is what surprises many people. Our sacraments did not just plop out of heaven. They developed historically and contextually over time as God directed the Israelites and as God is directing the church. And so what we need to do is we need to move away from this formulaic prescription religious thing that we're always thinking about. And we have to understand that the sacraments are flexible external signs that signify specific internal realities. In other words, folks, we have freedom here to move in the sacraments in ways that the Holy Spirit is encouraging us to do. So, baptism, to answer the question, is not just a New Testament thing. It's been around in many forms in Jewish culture for years, and then it was adopted into the church to be used for the specific purposes that Jesus enumerated. Now, the second question that you gave me, Katie, was, doesn't the Bible say clearly what we're supposed to do? And the answer is no, it does not. So this is why I challenge you, please get into the scripture. And if you find out specific ways, modes, how we're supposed to do this, would you please write a book? (laughs) Because I've been waiting for that book to get written. I have a feeling, and I'm being sarcastic, that Jesus And the Holy Spirit specifically left all this very, very nebulous and unclear so that, number one, we could show love to different Christian groups who do have different interpretations of the sacrament. Instead of fighting each other, we can love each other over differences. And then secondly, there's such flexibility with the sacraments that as culture changes, we can use God's blessing and means of grace through the sacraments to bless culture. So, for instance, in our modern culture, we want experiences. So, the reason why I believe we need to make sure we're including the possibility of immersion at a person's profession of faith, baptismal service, is because modern Americans want to feel it. They want to participate in it. We want to be a part of some kind of action. And in essence, what we've done with our tradition by only partially accepting the possibilities is we've limited the power of the sacrament as it could connect with a particular context and culture. So those would be short answers to those questions, Katie. Yes, you were talking about that first question of, is baptism only a New Testament Jesus thing? And the significance of water throughout the Old Testament, that's part of our liturgy. Is That's, that's how we start a lot of the baptism liturgy, is water cleanses, water purifies, and we see that all throughout scriptures as mm-hmm. well. Great points. Staying with that idea where Keith, Keith ended up, Allie, um, about immersions, We've had several people, so we've had several people ask the question, can I be immersed after I've already made my profession of faith as a high schooler, even if that was 50 years ago? So kind of this idea of retroactively. Yeah, I think that is a great question. And I love it because yes, the simple answer is yes. But the truth is, 
it is highly probable that the faith you had 50 years ago is different than what the Holy Spirit's doing today. So no matter what, it's a celebration of what the Holy Spirit is doing. And so if the Holy Spirit is asking you to consider being baptized by immersion, then we say yes and amen to that. And as much as that may feel like a retroactive work, it's actually a very new and proactive work of how Holy Spirit has been good and faithful throughout the years, and that you are continuously being created to be an image bearer of Christ. So yes, you most definitely can, no matter what the age is, be baptized for that second moment. And I'd like to just chime in if I could. Yeah. Um, some of our folks are worried about church order. So when you would make this request of an elder, one of the questions an elder would ask any person is, is have, have you ever been immersed, daubed, or sprinkled at your profession of faith, your first one? And if the answer is no, then absolutely participate. If the answer is yes, then our elders would deny you that request simply because we don't need to do this over and over and over again on infinitum. So. So Katie, another question that I am asked actually often mm -hmm. is why don't we do baby dedication here at Third? Yeah, that's a great question. And some of the things that we've talked about is infant baptism is covenantal baptism. And we see that all throughout, like we've we've talked about in this podcast and the previous podcast about how that is a carryover from the Old Testament into the New Testament. But a part of covenantal inclusion is that ultimately our children are not our own. In covenant, we recognize that our children have been given to us as a gift from God. And that's what we're doing at the infant baptism font is we are saying thank you and accepting God's promises on um, behalf of the child. Now, interesting, if you look at a baby dedication, a baby dedication is about marking something that belongs to you. And we're saying that our kids, in covenantal theology, our children are not our own. We have been given this gift of, of we have been given this gift to steward um, kids who have been entrusted to our care for a little while, but ultimately we recognize that they are, they are God's. Yeah, that's beautiful. Does that help to clarify? I think that does clarify it really well. Thank you. As we conclude this podcast, Keith, some of the things that we have gotten asked is why this change of practice? Why now? Well, let's go, let's start with that. And then I've got one more question for you. So, so why this change of practice and why now? Yeah, very good. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind is Isaiah 43, 19, where God says, can you not see that I am doing something new in your midst right now? And so uh, if we're going to stay in step with the Spirit, Galatians 5.25, we have to recognize that He doesn't always do the same thing. In fact, most of the time, the Holy Spirit's usually doing something new, and He jars us off of our status quo to ask us the question, are you willing to do something different to be with me? So I think the Lord is doing something new in our day here. Number two, I just believe that this whole one baptism in two moments over time is for the application for a new generation that is unchurched, that has not been living in what we've been calling Christendom here in the Exile series that uh, Pastor Kevin's been doing and teaching for the last two years here at Third Church. Uh, so our culture wants to encounter God. And one of the ways to encounter Him is through a tangible sign, 
and then be sealed through the waters of baptism. So I think the Holy Spirit, in short, is bringing us into a newness of experience that's really going to connect with a need and scratch an itch that's a part of our culture. Uh, So I think it's exciting. Uh, I want to stay with the Spirit, but I believe the Lord's awakening us to broader things, especially as it pertains to baptism and how we can apply the sacrament in a loving way to enrich an experience for people by faith in Christ. That is exciting. And one thing that really resonates with me in a lot of, of my circles as we're, as we're praying together and those kind of things, that phrase, behold, I am doing something new, seems like that continually is, is surfacing and highlighting for, for people in a variety of, of areas. So it's exciting to think of how he is doing this new thing with the, with the sacraments. Paired with that, Keith, and you have alluded to this in previous conversation, has the RCA and therefore Third Church been off in the past in how we've dealt with sacraments? And if, if the answer to that is yes, would you interpret that as a theological error or just tradition, church tradition again, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that has ruled and guided us? Yeah. First, to answer the question, I don't think the RCA has been off. I think we've been partial. I think we've been blinded to the fullness of potential. Do you know how it is when uh, you have this epiphany and revelation of, why couldn't I have seen that before? There it was. It was just sitting right there. And boom, the revelation comes, and there it is, and now you have a fuller manifestation of something. So the RCA has not been off. It's been partial. And I'm ordained in the RCA, and so I'm confessing I have been partial. (laughs) So I love 1 Corinthians 13.9. I only see in part. And so what I believe is happening, the Holy Spirit's allowing us to see something new more fully, and we're also encountering other Christian traditions that see it a little differently, and so their partial's being added to our partial. So could it be that we're getting more of a fuller revelation and explanation for how to move forward together with various Christian streams coming together? I will admit, though, that some of our Reformed church tradition has prohibited us from moving into the newness because many times status quo just seems safe and predictable. And that's one of the things I think that the Holy Spirit's challenging big time with those of us who come out of specifically the RCA tradition, uh, that our tradition sometimes has blinded us and locked us into the ability to grasp the new thing the Lord is doing. Uh, So it's more of a critiquing word of the RCA and not a criticism uh, so that's how I would I would answer that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I would say, say, what were the words that you used? Safe and predi- predictable. What words did you use? For yeah, safe, predictable, status quo. Yep. Yep. And I think tradition also allows us to have something that I've seen. Tradition, church tradition, allows us to feel like we have control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Where actually, it's not our. Yes. Our control. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, not all tradition is bad. Right. There are some wonderful traditions that we have that help map our faith, but will we always maintain an open eye and mind to discern, is this tradition trumping the actual gospel message, or is this tradition a helpful thing to keep us together and in unity over a particular subject? So let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. We need traditions. We need mapping in our life because there's so much unmappedness living in a modern world. By the same token, when it comes to the essentials of the faith, tradition should never trump 
the gospel message, which is much bigger and broader than tradition could ever be. Yeah. It makes me think of The Chosen. So the series called The Chosen, and they ha- you get to see um, the Sanhedrin and the religious authorities interact with Jesus and like visually see it. And they're so wrapped up in tradition that they miss it. I mean, they're literally watching Jesus do a miracle. And the first thing they say is, Roman soldiers, get over here and arrest this man. That's crazy. So tradition has a place and it's beautiful and can release permission, but we could miss it if we're so hunkered into tradition and not allow the Holy Spirit to do the new thing he may be wanting to do in that moment. Perfect. Yeah, I would like to chime and plug that video series as well, because in watching it, especially over this whole COVID-related time that we're in, I really have identified with the Nicodemus character in that. And Nicodemus was one who uh, was very closed, but all of a sudden started seeing signs and wonders and miracles, which opened him up to the power of God that was in Christ. And so as you watch his character development through the series, at least the first uh, season, you see him opening up to the newness Mm -hmm. of the Spirit. And I think that's kind of what the uh, Holy Spirit is up to with the RCA as well, with tradition. Yep. So to all of our listeners, Pastor Allie, Pastor Keith, and myself are very passionate and excited about this topic, and I'm sure you've picked up on that. And we invite you, if you have questions, we love to talk about this. And so we just want to invite you into continued conversation around all of this. But Keith, you had a great story of of someone who did not vote for this bylaw, perhaps, or or wouldn't vote for this bylaw. Um, And what was your response to, to them? Yeah, it was, it was a great story. I was in a local eatery, and after I was finishing my meal, a gentleman came out to me and he said, hey, I just want you to know that I was one of the nine. And what he was referring to, I think the official vote for the bylaw change was 288 to 9, like 94% approval. And he said, I just disagree with it theologically. This a gentleman and a friend of mine has a uh, more of a hardcore Calvinistic approach to life. And, and as he was walking away, I said, but wait a second, I have to ask you one question before you leave. I said, even though we disagree on this, do you still love me? And he says, absolutely. And I said, well, I love you too. And that's where we could leave this thing set because it's a non-salvation issue. It's really a, a, an appropriation issue of how do we want to use the sacrament in our, our complex world in a church which has a broad spectrum of people who have very different theological lenses when it comes to the gospel message. And so we just close this podcast with a blessing to you, the listener. If this is something that uh, you are that you're struggling with, that's okay. You just know that Third Church still loves you, still wants to be in relationship with you, um, still wants you to find a place to belong here. And if this is something that you want to move forward with, again, we refer you to the to the website. But let us just co- continue to love one another well. Thank you for joining us for this T3 Family Podcast. We hope it's been a blessing for you and your family. 